This is Liam Hendricks, and you're watching Crosstown Crosstalk on the Barroom Network. Some may find the following disturbing. Discretion is advised. Every summer in Chicago, the sunshine spotlights the city's spectacular skyline, its luxurious lakeshore, marvelous monuments, and the over 200 neighborhoods in the city. And it also brings to light two of the greatest sports franchises in the world. On the north side, it's the Cubs. On the south side, it's the White Sox. This is Crosstown Crosstalk. Hello and welcome to another very exciting episode of Crosstown Crosstalk presented by the Barroom Network. My name is Vinny Parisi and I am rocking my Miami Marlins hat due to the fact that I am rooting for our friend, friend of the pro. Jake Berger to make it to the playoffs with the Miami Marlins. We are the South Beach Hitmen at this point in time, but we still have to focus on what's going on in terms of Chicago baseball with the Chicago White Sox and how ugly things are getting at this moment in time. Of course, there is nobody that I would rather bring on to talk about the Chicago White Sox right here, right now, than one of my favorite Twitter follows that you could possibly have in terms of being a White Sox fan. I know I'm wearing a Marlins hat. I'm a White Sox fan. That is, of course, from the great CHGO network of podcasts, Herb Lawrence. Herb, how are we doing? Doing well. How are you doing, Vinny? Very good. Very good. It's good to have you on again. Yeah, it's good to be here. And uh, it's always good to talk White Sox despite their record. Absolutely. Despite the record, despite the fact that I'm more willing to come onto the program with a Marlins hat right now because I'm rooting for Jake Berger. I assume you were a fan of Jake. Big fan, huge fan of Jake Berger, and I will root for success. But uh, at the time, actually, I didn't mind the trade because I think they need um, left-handed starters. You know, so if this Jake Eater works out, I think it'll be easy, even um, trade. But you know, right now, Jake Berger is killing the ball, hitting walk-off uh, singles and such like that. I'm just glad he's on a functional organization, and for himself and his family, they can have a good baseball career because he had been up here toiling in misery absolutely i couldn't agree more now when i think about the white Sox, most recent game against the washington nationals they lost 13 to 1 they were down or, yeah it was 13 to 1 they were down 12 to 1 after five innings they used michael kopech as an opener was that quite literally the low point of the season blowing that series to another bad team like the white like it's one thing to lose a bad series to a team like the nationals who stink but it's another to get like kind of killed and not really have a chance in two of the three games. What's your takeaway coming out of this series? Um, I think the, they've given up a long time ago. I mean, there's hitters who are starting to hit now. Um, Yoan Mancata, Elvis Andres, to name a few. But yeah, losing to the Nationals and how they lost in the Nationals, just lifeless. Uh, it was very bad. But I think they hit their rock bottom, of course, when they had somebody shot at the ball game and no one's really figured that out still yet. It's kind of weird to me, but uh, that was the low point, but they have much more room to go because the White Sox, as you know, have no bottom. You thought that 81 and 81 in 2022 was 
the worst it could get under these uh, circumstances with the type of talent that they have. But whew, this season has challenged that and surpassed my expectations of bad. And they're gone. Absolutely. Gone. They're gone farther. I'm sure. Well, actually, actually, I'm going to change that. The Chris Getz hiring, even though he might work out eventually, which I don't I don't see how. But, you know, stranger things have happened. That was the low point, you know, continuing to give the White Sox hope by firing Rick and Kenny and then giving us Chris Getz in their place. I was like, ah, God, you had a chance and you failed, Jerry. Absolutely. Jerry continues to fail. That's when I'm in the same boat. I don't really see much from Chris Getz. But every single day I try in my head to talk myself into him being like the guy. Like it'll turn like when Philly hired their manager in football, the Eagles, when they hired him, everyone kind of ripped on the hire. And I remember being like kind of on that boat. Like, what is Philly doing? And now he's one of the most well respected head coaches in the NFL. It's like I'm, I keep talking myself into Chris Getz becoming that guy. But Joe Mandel in the chat says 100 losses, book it. Do you care if they reach 100 losses? They only have four times in, a, in their team's history, most recently being in 2018 when they were purposely trying to lose 100 games and they ended up drafting Andrew Vaughn and all that. They need to go five and four over their last nine in order to avoid losing 100 games. Expecting the White Sox to go over 500 for any particular stretch of games mm-hmm. is a huge ask. So where are you on this and the whole 100 loss thing? It gets a lot of conversation around White Sox land, I would say. Yeah, it does. And I think that the number just, you know, it's a milestone number. If they hit it and go surpass it, it's kind of like a a mark of futility, like of ultimate futility, because, you you know, no one really talks about the 97 lost teams or the 98 lost teams. But the 100 lost teams like, oh, man, that guy, those teams were terrible. So I don't necessarily care if they get to one side or the other. It's going to be a futile season no matter what. But others like when they put this in the annals and say oh the white Sox went 62 and 100 in that year where they're trying they're like man that was an ultimate failure and they're gonna be looking at that in circle and it's like yeah the number stands out as being 100 losses only what four teams that might be under 100 losses this year and those other three teams pretty much were trying to be bad and you were trying to be good Absolutely. And when you're trying to be good and you have a season like this, like last year, I remember thinking, like trying to talk myself into that being the worst season based on, like you said, the circumstances and the talent that they have going 81 and 81 was awful. Mm -hmm. And then I look back at the last 20 years, I'm like 81 and 81 is actually like the fifth or sixth best record that they've had throughout the whole span since winning the World Series in 2005. It's not good now. I personally don't care either because they're probably either going to have the third or fourth, depending on how they finish with the Rockies. They're going to have the third or fourth worst record in the MLB. One and two is already locked up by the A's and the Royals. But, uh, like, do you look at prospects at all? Are you thinking about the draft lottery in baseball? Like, when do you start thinking about those kinds of things? I'm not big into that, but I know there are players there that are good. I don't think there's any can't miss of course baseball and their draft process and how long it takes for players to usually get up to the major leagues is a crapshoot especially in the first uh fresh first round so it's better to be the third pick because you have the same odds as the first two teams to get the number one pick but i yeah i i don't necessarily know anybody except for the name of vance Huddycut from north carolina other than that i know no other uh, prospects that the white Sox could get whoever they get i hope that Mike Shirley gets a chance to do this and we don't pick when we're in the top three, another like a top three or top four, another Nick Madrigal. Like 
he's a major league baseball player, but not fourth overall in a draft. And I think that was Nick Hosta who made that pick instead of Mike Shirley. And I think Mike Shirley's picks have been pretty solid. I mean, Colson Montgomery should be with the team in a couple of years. And the development down there in the minors is hit or miss. And the guy who is in charge of that the last seven years is now in charge of everything. So, you know, take that with a grain of salt. But I would uh, trust in Mike Shirley doing the draft more than I would uh, the the past regimes. And he looks like he's a solid guy of uh, evaluating talent in the three uh, people they just brought in, the uh, Brian Bannisters, uh, uh, Josh Barfields, and Gene Watson. They look like solid hires. I don't know yet, but I thought Pedro was a solid hire too. So, you know, what do I know? Yeah, so I know we've been a lot on the negativity train since the show started, and we'll get right back into negativity soon enough. But a positive note on the Chicago White Sox season has been the play of Louis jr he has looked at times like an mvp candidate now i know there's the shohei otanis and the other players in the league that you know kind of rise above a little bit i think at times but Luis robert he's kind of been there he's a really strong finish to the season could get him over 40 home runs the white Sox don't see those guys very often and a lot of the times it's like a todd frazier who will like do it a one-off year and then stink the rest of the other time uh he's approaching a five war season i think that's incredibly notable he could be in the gold glove conversation i don't know who else is in the mix in terms of that but he's played a really good center field this season what about Luis robert jr has stood out to you most this season and do you think it can continue or do you think he'll kind of fall into that dylan cease Yoan Moncada, after one really good season, kind of come back down to earth a little bit. Where are you at on him? I think he's the superstar that we've been expecting for a long time. I think years past, the only time you had problems with Luis is rookie year when he's kind of slowed down in September. And then when he was hurt, like in 2022, when they were playing with him with that uh, bruised wrist and he was swinging with one hand. If he plays, if he starts, he's pretty good always when he's uh, actually healthy and he's been healthy. Sorry, I got a uh, fire ambulance. Oh, that's okay. And, um, but uh, yeah, I think Luis Robert, his actual play, like he wanted to make 150 games this year and it looks like he's on his way to doing that. If he plays every game, but one, he'll be there. And he's just the model of consistency. I think the other day he realized that he'd been trying way too hard to get to the 40 home run plateau. So that's why the slump in September but then you see those hot home runs in the two consecutive games in Washington. Sweet swings, just easy, breezy swings, and he crushes the ball without any real hard uh, swings. And he, I think he realized, like, I'm still Luis Robert. If I put back the ball, it's going out. And that's what I like about it. And you're showing that catch in Toronto. That is a big-time thing that he's improved from his rookie year where he won the gold glove back in the, his rookie year. I don't know if you guys remember that. He used to be very apprehensive when he got to the warning track and wouldn't make those catches like he's making them now. Now you see every week he's just making some spectacular catch at the wall of the warning track with the greatest of ease. So he's improved both his offense, his defense, his ability to play every day. And he's not 100%. He's playing hurt 70, 70%, 80% of the time or 70, 80% when he's playing. And I think Luis Robert is a testament to all the rest of the guys to – hey, not only play while you're hurt, but play with some power and play with some force while you're hurt. Absolutely. And you might remember there was a game last year at Fenway Park where Luis Robert, this was in the first half when he was kind of still playing well before the All-Star. He hit a ball as far as I've seen him hit a ball. 
minors, majors. It was over the Green Monster. I, it was on Apple TV. I think it was a Friday night, Friday night baseball that they do. I was like, wow, they're going to Fenway. Let's see that again from Luis. Let's get three more. Come on. Now, another player, you kind of touched on how hot he's been lately, Yoan Moncada. For the last month and a half, I wrote an article about it. I was actually astonished at the numbers since, you know, the middle of August. We're talking about a 900-plus OPS. But some of the things that we really, truly came to expect from Moncada when he first came over in the Chris Sale trade, do you think this can continue? Do you think it's kind of a flash in the pan? Would you trade him? Would you bring him back to see if he could do it again? He's just such a polarizing player for only on the field reasons. Off the field, by all accounts, it seems like Mankata's a good dude. It just seems like on the field, it's just so inconsistent all the time. Yeah, I would bring him back simply because I don't think anybody's going to be trading for him because $24 million is to his name and his contract next year. And as a player who is inconsistent – with both the bat when he is healthy and also often injured, it'll be tough for somebody to go and bite the uh, bullet there without the White Sox paying for a lot of that money there. But, and you know, you traded Jake Berger for that reason too, I think uh, because he really had no place to play if Yoan Moncada is healthy, but as far as his good play carrying on to next year, I think so but I'm not going to put my eggs in that basket because we all seen that every single year that he's played, he's been hurt with something or another, you know, it was, uh, you know, early problems with different things. Then in 2020, it was the COVID. Then 2021, it was the lingering effects of COVID. Then in 2022, he got a different injury earlier this year, he gets the back problems. And so I think back problems really don't really go away. They're just have to be something you have to play with. We saw Joe Creedy, have back problems and once he left the White Sox he went to the Twins he had to pretty much retire because back problems are driving him out of the league and so I hope he does something this offseason to find some relief for his back it seems like in the second half he's found a way to play with the the numbing and the the stuff that's going on with his back and found a solution because yeah the bat's been nice the doubles have been good I think he's hit eight home runs now this year which is way under where he should be he should be a 20 home run guy minimum every year and it looks like the old yawns coming back except for the eye he doesn't he hasn't walked a lot this year i think he's walked under 20 times this year which is not yawn style and so i would like to see him get back to board being more selective and then picking out his pitch and rocking in it like that year in 2019 gave us so much hope that he was going to be an mvp guy every single year and he hasn't come close to duplicating that 20, uh, 2021 was pretty good, but not 2019. 2019 gave us a peek into the potential, the the epic uh, like floor or um, ceiling for uh, Yoan Mankata. Always seen pretty much has been floor for him ever since then. Absolutely. And yeah, I'm with you. After that 2019 season, I was like, this guy's going to make 10 all-star games. He's going to be, you know, their franchise player, him and Luis Robert Jr. with that Eloy coming up at the time. I mean, it, I, I don't feel for believing in this team and it all come crashing down because back like there was all sorts of signs that like I feel like 70% of the league would have turned these guys into you know a perennial contender each and every year but I'm going to take you back to probably in my opinion the darkest day of the Chicago White Sox season that is in terms of on-field performance Mm -hmm. and that's the day where they were leading the Cubs three to one going into the ninth inning and our pal Christopher Morrell Jr. hits a walk-off home run to give the Cubs the victory. Um, it was a devastating night for the White. That, to me, is like the nail in the coffin of this White Sox season. Oh, no, it has a lot to do with who they were playing, of course. And I'm curious, from your point of view, how was it 
into the CHGO office the next day and you got you and all the guys you work with on CHGO White Sox, even a couple of the Bears guys, my friend Mark Harmon, former fan side colleague, he's a Sox guy doing Bears stuff. What was it like to face the Cubs guys in the office that weekend? Because it was not fun for me anywhere I went. Um, they're, They were fine. You know, they didn't give me too hard of a time because they knew the White Sox were. We pretty much kicked ourselves uh, every time we would see the CHGO Cub people. But we were there. Myself, um, Luke Stuckmeyer, who was the host of CHGO Cubs, and then Cody Del Mendo were all at the game. And then some other uh, CHGO people because we had an outing that night. And so see that live, I was like, oh, God, you know, what could be worse? Because, yes, it was a lost season already, but a little solace would have been had if we would have split the series with the Cubs, got that dub, swept them in their home ballpark, kept the BP Cup or whatever the hell they call it now, even though it doesn't mean it much. But that would have been like some bragging rights. Like, oh, you guys are going to the playoffs? Can't even beat a team that's three games under 500 type of stuff. But, yeah, I went into the office, and they were fine. But it was other Cub fans on Twitter and such who know me as a Sox fan and just talking. It's like, hey, man, I don't want to root against your team. Calm that down. Calm that nonsense down. You want you guys won. Enjoy. Christopher Morell, enjoy yourself. But I thought that was more of a bad pitch than a good hit because, I mean, Christopher Morell, you saw him swing from his shoes every time he threw him a slider outside the zone. And then we throw him a fastball middle, middle. I mean, what do you think that man's going to do? That's what he is. I mean, it's like throwing Javi Bias a middle, middle fastball when you got the slider right there and you know the man's going to swing at anything that's in the ballpark. So, yeah. Um, Good luck to them. I'm if they make the playoffs, depending on who they play, I'll be rooting for my friends to have a good time, but not rooting for the team to win. But uh, yeah, that was a detrimental day, especially to be there and hearing that terrible "Go Cubs Go" song at the end because it means nothing. It's a dumb song that should be sang at the beginning of the game because they already won when you sing it already. I hate that. Yeah, song. Uh, I hate it too, and it drives me crazy. And that was a tough night all around. Um, probably the low point of the season. But uh, one of the high points of the season was when Liam Hendricks made his return. Um, Obviously, Liam Hendricks, both on and off the field, is just elite. He's an elite talent. He's been one of the best closers in baseball for a handful of years. And then he does all sorts of great stuff off the field, and everybody seems to like him. He came on this show and gave us an hour of his time and was one of the most incredible people that I've ever talked to that, you know, reached such heights in their life. Um, would you bring him back? Like, where do you stand? You want to give him a chance with a winning organization to finish out his career? Where do you stand on Liam Hendricks coming into 2024? Obviously, he's got the injury to go with, along with coming back from his cancer diagnosis. I, um, if I'm, you're asking Herb the fan, yes, I would bring him back because I think that his mentorship of all everybody in the bullpen and especially Gregory Santos saying, hey, this is how you become a closer. When you give up that home run to Christopher Morrell, you got to swallow that and forget about it and go out and pitch the next day and have a quick memory about that. And that knowledge and that know-how, especially as a guy that's bouncing around the league however long he did until he figured it out with himself in Oakland, that is very valuable that you can't get. And the $15 million is going to be paid either way. It's going to either be paid in the salary that he making next year, which he probably won't pitch next year, but also it's Liam Hendricks. You know, the man came back from cancer and pitched six months later. So I'm not going to count him out for not pitching next year, or you're going to have to pay him in an, uh, like an annual uh, payment. I don't know how many years the 15 million will eventually be paid to Liam Hendricks. 
but I think there has to be something with uh, the payroll. And that's why if I'm GM slash owner, I thinking maybe I don't pay him that money and I do the annulment or the uh, annual payments uh, of that for Liam Hendricks. So I can have $15 million of cap space cleared out because you know, Jerry is going to be counting it down and the budget's going to be the budget. And Chris cannot, you know, have, if you don't have 15 extra million dollars to work with, with three starting pitchers to get maybe a second baseman, maybe a right fielder, it's going to be tough to fit all that in if there's 15 million already gone from the jump with a player that's not going to be playing for the most part for next year. But he's very valuable. And if I do not, if I don't pick up the option, I'm finding a way where I can have him in the building, sign him to a longer term extension, like sign him to a two year deal. So he, yeah, he won't play in 2024. But if he, if he gets healthy and he's ready to play in 2025, you still have him in the building. He's still your closer for 2025, where you would hope that your team would be still trying to win because at that time you'll still have Luis Robert. Hopefully I think you'll still have Johan Mancada. You'll probably have Costa Montgomery as your shortstop coming up as the starting shortstop for the White Sox. So that would be a good idea for the White Sox just to make sure that that person and the player too is in the building because once he is healthy, I've, guaranteed there's going to be at least 10, 12 teams like, hey, yeah, I want that on my team, especially the closer. And that person is awesome, too. And your neighborhood and your what he does off the field is just unbeatable. Absolutely. Herb, were you at the game in 2021, the blackout game, uh, the playoff game that they won? Uh, I was not. I was. I haven't gone to any playoff game in my White Sox history, which is sad. Oh, we got to get Herb to a playoff game. I'll pay for your ticket next time they make it because I know it's not going to be for 10 years. I can start saving up now. Um, <laughs> Herb, it was one of the most spectacular experiences of my sports fanhood. And you you know me. I love every sport. I follow every sport as close as I possibly can um, while still maintaining my social life. So I, it makes me so angry to think back to what that night was like. And I'm sure it was great watching it on TV too. And the fact that they just messed it up so bad when that can be your team, does it infuriate you as much as it infuriates me? Because there were people saying that that stadium that night in round one of the playoffs was as loud and crazy as any Cubs playoff game, as any Bears playoff game. The White Sox magnitude when they are that good and have that good of a chance to win is crazy. And it makes me so angry that Jerry Reinsdorf is just like, eh, Tony LaRusso. Chris gets. Yeah, it does make me mad because multiple things came out of that game. I mean, we were very hyped that one game that we won in the playoffs versus Houston. I remember I was on cloud nine. We Chris Tannehill and I did a post game on 670 to score. That's the only time really I've done a post game on, on the score when I was there because Mitch was like, yeah, this is too exciting. The people are hyped here. The building was exciting electric and he asks like can you do it's like hell yeah because i want to be a part of that night and the, the other thing that came out of that night was larry garcia getting his three-year 16 million dollar contract because he hit a home run and credit to him it was a big home run he hit i think he hit it off of yimmy garcia i still remember that name yimmy garcia yeah. he yeah. hit it off of and i was so surprised that he hit it and put us the white Sox in a good uh standing that game 
where it was pretty much like that was the exclamation point of the game and it cemented us winning that game. And, you know, of course, the next day, Carlos Rodon, I was hyped for the Carlos Rodon start. And he started off real hot and then Carlos Correa messed that up. But, yes, you could see this team and this fan base is starving for a winner, starving for something. They were promised something and it almost got to its peak. 2020 was great. Getting beat by the A's was not. And then you go and win the division. Finally, you haven't won a division since 2005 and, or 2008. And you're, that, you're there. You're like, oh, man, what Rick Hahn said came to fruition. We're coming. These, um, these players are still young. And then the 2022 debacle and what's hap- happened subsequently, it's like we were such a young, fun, vibrant team that everybody in the major leagues wanted to be. The, you know, the Tim Anderson energy was palpable we were trying to change the game like tim wanted us to do and then i mean before that we got tony Larusa, which i think put a uh kink in what we were doing and then just the 2022 season just cemented all that put a little dirt on our grave and then this year we're we're, we're keep on going down it's we're past six feet under and we know that we're probably not going to get to that apex. As you said, the next playoff game might be 10 years from now because we know Jerry's not going anywhere. And Jerry's going to do the things that he wants to do, but without the, he wants to win quickly, but he doesn't want to spend a lot of money for this team because that's what this team needs to do. Cause they don't have any prospects really to trade away to get better players. And the prospects that they do have are a couple years away, like Colston Montgomery. I don't know if Brian Ramos is, gonna be the guy or not in a couple years but they're a couple years away from actually helping this team so you have to do the most inefficient way of adding talent which is free agency and we know jerry reinstars has limits on getting top tier talent and so it's very sad that we're at this point where just two years ago we're celebrating a good victory and you being there that picture shows showed me it's like man brings me goosebumps because i can feel that energy that the white Sox and their fans had that day and it's just been zapped out of the good people who want to just love their team in peace and want to have some success. You know, if this team would have made the playoffs this year, I think most fans would have been disappointed if they didn't go past a certain point. But then they've been like, you know what? Three playoff years in four years. I'll take that every time. That's a good that's a good run. But now it's just like we don't see the playoffs in our horizon at all. And it's just, a you know, now I think fans are making choices like, do I want to continue supporting this team that only brings me misery or do I want to go and look at some other team that maybe give me a little bit of, you know, hope and enjoyment of baseball again. So I don't do, I don't blame any fan that feels like they want to go somewhere else and look at another team while still having an eye on the white Sox as they are to their core, a white Sox fan. Cause they love the team, but I'm a Padres fan, even though they haven't done well, I like to see them do well every once in a while. You see, you got the Marlins hat. You said you want to see Jake Berger do well. That same thing I'm feeling right now, live vicariously through other fan bases and hope one day that Jerry Reinsdorf either wakes up or trades the team or uh, sells the team. And the new owner actually says that he has, he or she has a vision and money to spend on this team and the, for this fan base. Cause if Jerry really wanted to do something for his, the fans, as he said, he would make this team a winner by next year with spending a bunch of money, which we know he won't do. 
Yeah, I mean, we've seen the Minnesota Twins even spend some money and turn themselves into at least a division winner. They, you know, they don't win the playoffs very often, but they've spent money and turned their team around. They came in last place. I think it was 2019 they came in last place or 20. No, it was 2021. And then they add all this money and all of a sudden, you know, the Twins are back to being where they are. And I think people need to start taking more pride in winning a division title. Only one team wins the World Series. It's it's time to start looking at a division title as a little bit more um, – I don't know the word I'm looking for. Elusive, something that the White Sox should be doing and going for and being excited about. I'm I can't wait till the next time we experience that as a fan. Herb, I'm curious though. Can you think of a moment? It probably came in 2022 when you were like, uh-oh, we're in trouble. And then a second moment where you're like, this thing is a failure. And that probably either came at the end of 2022 or at some point in 2023. Cause for me, I have both of those like moments locked in my brain on when they happened. Um, it probably had to happen uh, last year when the guardians came to town and the white Sox were close enough where they had some hope. I, I forgot how many games they're behind at that time, but then the guardians just came in and swept the white Sox here in guillotine rate field. I was like, yeah. And then when they were winning their championship and they're celebrating and they're saying, fuck the white Sox." And all that stuff, fire, Tony. I was like, hey, man, I they're just they're ranking on the White Sox. And I said they deserve it. I mean, and then they're ranking on NBC Sports Chicago with the Will Smith, the uh, Fresh Prince. When's everybody else going to show up in the division type of a tweet they sent out at the beginning of the year? I was like, yeah, that's pretty much the end of this thing. Even though I kind of have hope this year at the beginning of the year, I think I had them down for like 84 wins. God, I can't believe like they came short of that. They came way short of well that. Well short. <laughs> and so like I had hope in this offseason. I think most people had hope this past year's like oh, Tony's gone. We got some new new uh, uh new blood with Pedro Grafal and let's give him a try. Hopefully everybody's healthy. We'll get right back to being a winner. No, it didn't happen at all. And so I think that last year when Cleveland was celebrating their AL Central Championship, I was like yeah, that's pretty much it because they were young. They were, I think they were the youngest team in baseball at that time. And I was like, they're not getting any. I mean, they're not going to get worse, which they did. But Jose Ramirez is still going to be there. And all these other players are still going to be there. And Adrian Savale is going to be there. Now he's not. But I was like, hey, this Cleveland Guardians team is uh, first to be reckoned with. I didn't even look at the Twins as a team that could be doing this. But they have. I mean, Rice, Royce Lewis and all their pitchers they got on that team it, Congratulations to them, but I'm been looking forward to their three losses in the playoffs real quick, and they join the White Sox on the couch. Yeah, I mean, we'll see what happens. There's no Yankees in the playoffs this year, Herb. That's uh, yeah, always so been the big issue for the Twins. They might get all win this year. I'm just warning you, they might get all win this year with no New York Yankees making it to the playoffs. They're, they're absolute kryptonite. Uh, our buddy Gabe in the chat says, the White Sox are no longer the laughing stock in the city. The Bears have taken over. Do you agree with that sentiment? Because some of the things we're hearing on our house hall make me wonder if the White Sox are actually a tick above the Bears right now. I get what Gabe is saying, but no, the Bears are the biggest team in town. So this and their stories seem more outsized than the White Sox and everybody in this town who is a sports fan grew up here pretty much is a Bears fan. Not everybody is a White Sox fan, so they don't feel the pain as much. But the White Sox, remember, they have done this for two years consecutive. Yeah, the Bears had hopes to do something this year, but they're coming off a 3-14 and 14 year. 
where they were the worst team in football. And yes, we as fans had expectations and hopes that they were going to beat the Packers and maybe division champions and maybe come close to the Lions or the Vikings. But no, it wasn't uh, to be. And what they're doing with the Allen Williams stuff, it's White Sox-esque, but we've been there. We've done that. As we said, there was somebody shot in the field uh, at Guaranteed Great Field that we still haven't found out who got shot. That's still a mystery. It's that's happened this year and the Chris gets thing like the bears for all their faults, they've hired people where I've actually agreed with the hires like Ryan poles, Ian Cunningham, Matt Eberflus. I agreed with all those hires. Those are actual people who are qualified for their jobs and have done them to varying degrees of success or failure so far. But where you've hired a guy and we had guys here for 20 plus years had ridden done anything finally fired them in season, which the Bears I don't think ever will do, fire a, a general manager in season, and then replace them with a person that was part of that failure. Like, we, I get it, Gabe. The Bears have been bad, but the White Sox are the blueprint. They have established the worst. And the Bears, to be this, would have to go 0-17 to be the White Sox because there's no way. Because – we were 81 and 81 and we're worse than that this year. The bears, they win three games. They're the same. They were last year and they got two draft picks. And if they're that bad, one of them is going to be the number one pick. And with the quarterback in uh USC out there, Caleb Williams, if Justin Fields, isn't the guy you immediately go to Caleb Williams and say, Hey, sorry, Justin, it's been real. We got this youngster here. And then remember you got the Panthers first round pick too. So, they're not going to be good either. So they're in a much better spot than what the White Sox are. As we talked earlier, even if the White Sox get the number one pick, that guy is not going to change this franchise overnight. The Bears get the number one pick. That person's changing the franchise next year. And they have they have brighter pastures and greener skies. So I don't think uh, the Bears are close to the White Sox, even though it looks bleak right now. I, I actually agree. Because you you don't have Stephen A. Smith calling the White Sox trash on national television like he did mm -hmm. the Bears this morning, or Colin Coward ripping on Justin Fields, or you know these big media heads talking trash about the White Sox on air. They do that for the Bears, so it seems like it's worse. Even though if they covered baseball to the extent that they covered football, they would be saying the same things about the White Sox, if not at a higher magnitude. So yes, I actually am gonna agree with that. There's a world where the Bears have Caleb Williams and Marvin Harrison Jr. featured in their offense next season. I mean, something like that. You're right. That's franchise defining. So I'm going to ask you, kind of veering away from baseball, leading into football a little bit, where does Herb Lawrence stand on Justin Fields? I'm still in the camp of Justin Fields, but he has shown nothing to get me to the next level. I think that player that showed up last year, if he showed up again with the running and the creativity off the run is a team is a person that can get this team dubs like we saw that in the san francisco game early in the season last year i think justin fields they need to incorporate dj Moore much more uh mooney missed most of the tampa bay game so that was a big blow but also i think that they're using justin fields in a way that he isn't comfortable with and that he's not the best equipped to do get him out of the pocket if he doesn't see something, which he doesn't see a lot of wide open receivers, do something else. Because obviously what he's doing and what the 
the offensive coordinators are asking him to do, Luke Getzey's asking him to do, is not hitting with him right now. And so get him as comfortable as he wants to be. Ask him what what is what's what do you like to do? What do you want to do on this play? Give him the the responsibility to make a check at the at the line if he doesn't like a, a play or something like that. Because you see right there with these plays you're playing right now, the wheels are undeniable. And defensive coordinators, when they just see him in the pocket, not design runs, they're like, thank Jesus. That is awesome. We, we only got to defend his pass. Awesome. Perfect. Because he can be like Lamar Jackson. He can be as deadly as Lamar Jackson. Maybe not MVP of the league, but he can be somewhere close to that where defenses are up all night before the game saying, man, how are we going to stop this dude from running all over us, and then when we're doing our um, our zone defense to make sure we keep eyes on him, then he's throwing the ball over our head because DJ Moore's got behind our, our defensive backs or uh, Mooney's got behind our deep defensive backs because we know he has a deep ball. At Ohio State, he's shown that last year. Hell, he showed a deep ball propensity, giving it to the vast uh, – bums they had on the team like Zalus Jones or Equiminius St. Brown, et cetera, et cetera. So he has talent. I just think that they're not, as the White Sox do, they're not developing that talent in the correct way. And he has failed himself. Like there's been reads he's missed. Like straight, hey, hit that guy right now. Foot on the ground, ball needs to be out type of stuff. And that is coaching. And that is also on Justin to pull the trigger, trust in yourself, trust in the read. And so he needs to get better at that. And this week versus Kansas City, it's going to be real tough because Chris Jones is back, but he's working himself up from being not playing a lot in the second game they had. And I think he'll be in the backfield a lot this year or this week. So I want Justin to be running. I want him to do his thing because Kansas City's defense, I don't think they're that tough. And so there could be yards to be had. And it's going to be a shootout because we know Patrick Mahomes, Travis Kelsey, and the boys are going to put up points versus that Bears defense, of course. I'm curious how your Thursday night's looking. It'll be the type of night where Herb is watching the White Sox take – or they're off tonight, but they're going to be playing against the Boston Red Sox this weekend. Your overall scope of the weekend, you're going to watch the 49ers versus Giants game tonight? you interested in anything else? What's on your sports docket from now till let's say, Monday? Yeah, definitely going to be watching that game later on tonight. I mean, there's going to be no um, Saquon Barkley, so I think it's going to be a romp. I'm going to take that, uh, what, the 49ers minus 10. I think that's easy money because I don't think the Giants, firstly, are good. I don't know after they played Arizona if they went back to New York and then came back out to San Francisco or just stayed out in the West Coast. That would be the smarter move because that's a lot of travel in the four days. So that also would factor into the the whole equation. And I think that they're going to win that game. The Giants are going to get blown out tonight versus the 49ers. Then on Saturday, I'm trying to think Friday. Do I have anything that I'm looking forward to? Not necessarily. On Saturday, the Illini, my favorite football team, they play and they host Florida Atlantic. It's a team that they should beat, but the Illini haven't played well this year. Even in their one win versus Toledo, they were challenged and won it by a last-second field goal. So, I'm looking for them to bounce back after they got beat pretty soundly by Penn State last week. And then on Sunday, yeah, of course, I'm going to be in front of that TV. I know the White Sox finish off with the um, the San Diego pot. No, it's not, that's next week. Sorry. That's next so, weekend. Yeah. I was thinking next weekend. It's but, Boston uh, this weekend. At Boston this weekend. So we got to do a post-game show. I think it's early, and I think that Bears game is at 325 with the Kansas City Chiefs. So it probably works in perfectly right after I finish the post-game at CHGO. 
I'll be looking at that Bears game and probably in the studio with all the rest of the guys like Adam Hogue and Nicholas Mario. Well, actually, Nicholas will be in Kansas City, but uh, Greg Braggs Jr. seeing him throw things, get mad. See, I thought I was a big-time Bears fan. Greg Braggs Jr., that guy. Former he, host on this network. Yeah, he is a lunatic. He oh, yeah. loves the Bears. Like, I lives and dies with the Bears. I, you know, I live and die with them on the Sunday that they play. But every single day of his life is Bears, Bears, Bears. And that's a good way to win, live. But also, the Bears have not treated him well either. No, I, Braggs makes me sad. And listen, I, I have a couple teams I feel that way about. There, there are three teams I feel that way about. Uh, Braggs has it all in one basket, it seems. Like, he likes the Cubs. You know, he likes the White or the uh, Blackhawks, I'm sure. Like, But it, oh, he puts a lot of stock in the bears and I respect it. I think he's done great things with his career. I'm a huge fan. Um, Herb, before we let you go, I'm going to give you an opportunity to promote anything you have going on in terms of CHGO, something big, big you're planning, whether it be with them or on your own, what's going on with your content game right now. I'm a huge fan. Thank you, sir. And uh, Joe brings up a good point. Joe Mandel says uh, Notre Dame, Ohio State. I forgot oh, that, yeah. game, that game's going to be on uh, Oregon versus Colorado. I'm going to see if Colorado's real or if Oregon takes them down, which I believe is going to happen. I think Oregon's going to absolutely run and kill uh, Colorado. I think their offense is way too good, and Colorado's defense is very suspect. Um, oh, so you think if Colorado wins, though, you'll be a firm believer? If they win at Oregon, yeah. If they win at Eugene, all that noise, that great-ass team, yes. I would like – Dion is – I mean, I'm already kind of a believer. I think it, ultimately they'll win seven games and go to a bowl, which is outstanding from a one and eleven team. Yeah, it's absolutely outstanding. <laughs> but winning versus either one of these teams, and they win either at Oregon or at home versus USC next week, that – is a cementing victory for the Colorado Buffalo. So, yeah, what he's done, I was apprehensive initially of Neon's coaching career. I'm a believer in what he does. He preaches positivity, preaches uh, lifting players up and such like that and letting them be themselves. I'm in for it. I initially thought, you know, he was kind of all about himself, but Dion's about himself, but he's also about other people bringing, up, bringing themselves up. But uh, you can follow me at C, uh, underscore, let's say, what's it? No, CHGO underscore White Sox on Twitter. Or Ecknerwall23 for uh, the other Twitter uh, or X uh, handle. But no, nothing much. We just do shows like every day. So we got one later on today at five o'clock, live off day show. Uh, and then uh, we're on Big Ten Bets after dark, later after that at 6 30, where we're going to be talking about Big Ten Bets that we are looking for. It's me, my, let's see, Sean Anderson, myself, and Cody Delmendo from CHCO Cubs who uh, do Big Ten Bets this year. Very, very good. I, I didn't realize you guys were all that much into the Big Ten. That's awesome. Huge fan of all that. I'm going to start following I'm, along with that. I'm more into the actual games. Those two are the hosts of our CHGO Bets show, so they're more inclined to the gambling part. I'm very, very much a novice on gambling, especially with the Big Ten. But my 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 philosophy got broken last week where Iowa scored their last-second last touchdown and then they covered the 28 and a half that uh, that I said that every time when they're 20 plus favorites, bet the other team. And they those jerks went out and scored all those points because their coach got to win 25 or got to score 25 points per game. That's very funny, Herb. I can't thank you enough for coming on our show. When I found out that Ecknerwall was Lawrence backwards, I think you told it to me on the show one time. Uh, 
Oh, that's freaking sweet. What an awesome Twitter handle. Herb, you do great work. Please keep it going. Please bring keep bringing a beacon of positivity. I think even though you might not feel that you do that, I believe you do. Um, it's fun to follow along with what you guys are doing over there and keep it going, please. Thank you very much, Vinny. And yes, Joe, I thought that was crap that even the explanation that uh, the great, uh, I forgot his name right now, the coach, uh, Sean McVay, oh, Sean McVay. the other day, uh, his explanation didn't even make sense. He was uh, definitely politicking there, kicking a field goal down by 10. Ugh, ugh, man, I, I feel sorry for people who bet on that game. I wish the books would uh, refund them, but I know they won't. But and I feel good for the people who cashed, who got that money, who had the Rams plus seven. Yep, there are plenty of people that cashed. And if you want more fantasy football and more betting tips one you could watch herb's show big 10 bets and of course you could come back to the barroom network over the weekend there will be all sorts of bear stuff as they preview their their game with the kansas city chiefs hope they don't lose by 50 patrick mahomes hosting justin fields and the chicago bears at arrowhead stadium i'm very much looking forward to it and herb can't thank you enough everybody watching commenting on baseball i know it's hard to be a baseball fan if you're a white Sox fan right now there will be probably a cubs heavier episode next weekend on thursday so make sure you tune in for that of course bard on talking hockey on wednesday very much looking forward make sure you subscribe to the barroom network and chgo listen to it all and as always thank you for listening go jake Burger. another happy landing